This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 946, A Conversation with Judd Winnick. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 946. It's another conversation with Jed Winnick, as we welcome back to the show for his seventh appearance. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. I'm very excited to have Jed back on the show. I had told him in advance of this interview that this might be, I haven't really decided yet, but the show might be ending in, with the 10th anniversary and the 1,000th episode on August the 12th this year. So in advance, I'm just kind of trying to prepare myself that every interview could be the last one we have, that I have with particular creators, especially those who've been you know, having a lot of repeat appearances on the show. So this is Jed's as I said, seventh appearance on the show. We talk about the newest uh, Hilo volume that just came out, volume eight. Sorry, it hasn't actually come out yet. Uh, I was very, uh, very privileged to be able to read an advanced copy um, in advance of having the. Uh, it's funny because I got it and my son's like, I'd rather wait till I have the physical copy. I'm like, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> There's something about that experience because we usually do it for uh, nighttime reading. We go through the newest volume of, of Hilo. So I'm very excited uh, to talk about this with Judd. Um, the. We talk for, for the, a lot of the interview is, you know, spoiler free for the most part. And then we do get more into spoiler territory near the end. So by then, uh, you know, you might want to delay reading, uh, listening to the end of the podcast until you've after you've had a chance to read the newest volume of Hilo. If you do follow the Hilo series, if not, you might want to just continue on. Uh, cause, you know, if you weren't going to buy it anyway. Um, but I, I hope it makes you want to check it out. It's really, really entertaining and well done. And there's, you know, some surprising pathos here. And uh, we get into that. So it's, it's always a, a complete joy to have John on the show, as, especially to have him on as many times as, a, as I have over the years, uh, talking about Hilo and also obviously going into depth on some of his other creator works as well. If you want to check out the previous appearances on the show, he was in episode 554, back from 2018, uh, episode 666, 668, 764, 788, 854, and now this one. So uh, without further ado, let's get into the episode. But before I do... Uh, just a bit of housekeeping. If you want to email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, rate the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. You can also uh, be looking forward to, hopefully, a new interview with Mark Wade coming up very soon. Uh, I'm excited to do that um, with my uh, frequent recent collaborators and original collaborators on the show, uh, Nathan Struck and Paul Scores. Uh, we soon will be having an episode where we delve into kind of our favorite X-Men covers full time, which should be interesting because I'm very intrigued what the other two will come up with because, you know, there's a difference between the most iconic or the most, you know, uh, or the best. Uh, but when it's your favorite, it really is so subjective. It could be anything in, in you know, anything in between. Uh, it could be in 80s, 90s, 70s, you know, 60s. It could be 2010s. You know, you never know. Like, it really could be anything. So I'm excited for that episode to really be able to delve into that. I uh, also wanted to thank, um, I apologize in advance for maybe butchering the, uh, pronunciation but dan tanderich uh was uh recently uh let me know that he was really enjoying the show so i just want to shout out to him and thank you for his support of the show and i hope he enjoys this interview as well anyways uh let's jump right into the conversation finally with judd winnick enjoy judd welcome back to the comic shenanigans podcast how are you today I'm excellent, sir. It's a pleasure to be back. It is. You, you are on the uh, the list. I, I, I would have to look, but I think you're up at the top now in terms of comic creators, the second most uh, you know frequent guest. Because I think this is your seventh visit, if I'm not wrong. Is that right? 
I think That's so. That's awesome. That's awesome. Who's, who's, who's got me beat? Who's been on more than me? Uh, I think Ron Friends has been on maybe eight or nine times. Oh, no kidding. Okay, well, that's that's very good company to be in. I appreciate that. <laughs> I think I've talked with him about, like, 13 or 14 hours. Like, it's been... <laughs> It's been intense. Like, we've had some uh, very in-depth creator commentary, which I've enjoyed very much. But, yeah, we, at one point he was like, are you just going to come live in my house soon? I'm like, I think we're close to this this level in our relationship, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, no kidding. I was going to joke. They're like, yeah, you're all like family now. 13 hours. That's a lot. You know? That's more than I speak to some members of my family every year. I got to say, I really have said it. <laughs> I believe it. So, every year we have you on. Um, part of the reason, we always talk a little bit about your comic history as well, obviously, and kind of uh, going through your career. But obviously, we also talk about Hilo. Now, this is different for us because usually the new book has already come out when we've chatted, but this time it's actually not come out yet. It's coming out in February. What's the exact street date for this? Uh, February 15th. All right, February 15th. So this is uh, Hilo, Gino, and the Gina and the Big Secrets. This is book yep. eight. Um, now, I think you've told me before, but the, the kind of sub, the sub, uh, kind of uh, sub, subtitle of Gina, is that th- a three-volume kind of idea? Yeah. No, no, as, as we speak, I'm working on book nine, which will wrap up uh, this story arc. So, um, Hilo's first story arc, that was, uh, we had six books, this one's going to be three, and uh, I, might stick with, I might stick with the threes, we'll see. <laughs> I, I truly actually just go with what, where, however the story seems to be going. I'm, I, I don't, from the outside, I don't necessarily gauge it, but as I go through it, mm. it you know, I plan on three, but if it feels like I got too much, then it'll be I'll, I'll keep going. But yeah. So the next book will wrap up this storyline. So when you when you sat down to kind of plot out uh, not just this book but again the the kind of three book set, um, like how 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 in depth is your kind of plot outline at that stage? Because obviously when you go through the individual chapters, you're doing a lot more of that fleshing out. And obviously, as we've talked about before, some things will kind of organically grow out and surprise you and lead you in certain different directions, even though you have kind of the framework. So when you're doing this kind of you know three book arc, which is again more condensed than your original six book arc. Uh, how much of the kind of major plot beats were set up, or did you kind of do it a little bit more organically as you went through it? No, I, I, have, I mean, the advice I always give to folks who want to do stories is uh, you come up with that big idea, because everybody has the big idea. Even people don't even make up stories, everyone has a big idea. And that's, you know, big ideas are sometimes hard to come by, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. What I always tell them, the next thing you need to do is come up with an ending. You have to come up with an ending. Uh, otherwise, you're not going to finish. And more importantly than just getting it done, which is most of the battle, you you, you got to know where you're going. You know, you really need a you really need to to, to sort of have a target. You need to know where it's, where the plane's going to land. I mean, I can keep going with other analogies. <laughs> I think the best analogy probably is going for a walk. If you if you are going for a walk and you do not have a destination, you are going to stop halfway at some point and turn around and go home. Mm. You know, you're just going to keep meandering around out there. Opposed to if you know exactly where you're going, you're going to get there. Um, so it's very much the same with storytelling. I when I think of you know what the general story is going to be, the big idea, I figure out where we're going to land exactly. What is the big beat? What is the big wrap up? How does this story end? Uh, and once I have that, then I know I can then I can go to work. You know, I, I outline it. You know, the first book. I know the second book will be a bunch about this, and then the third book will do all, do all this. Uh, and a lot of the middle stuff, some of the details might not not happen yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know, no harm in that. Um, some of it happens organically. Some are happy accidents, but I like to plan out as much as I possibly can. 
mm-hmm. you know, as much as I can until until it's time. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay, now it's like you, you can't plan anymore. You have to have to start. Time to go to work. Mm-hmm. If I can jump away from Hilo just for a second, then so when you're yeah, sure. when you're working on Under the Red Hood, and obviously the, the com- climax of that whole storyline has that moment with you know the Joker and Red Hood and Batman. Was that always right. crystal clear in your mind? Like this is what I'm driving towards because that's an awesome moment. Oh yeah. No, no, no. The end. The uh, for those playing at home, we're talking about my Batman run. We're talking about the Return of Jason Todd and and Under the Red Hood. Um, the first two things I had thought of basically are the fact that you know Jason Todd was turning from the dead. Jason Todd was going to be the Red Hood, and this confrontation at the end. That at, at the end, I, I I knew literally what I wanted to end with was that. Jason was going to kidnap Joker and being holding him at gunpoint and confronting Bruce, confronting Batman with the idea like this, this, none of this was about that you let me die. It's never been about that. It's that you didn't, that you let him live. How could you let him live after he took me away from you? Mm-hmm. And knowing that, that it had all this, you know, for me, in my opinion, like all this pathos and, and emotion to it. It's like, yeah, you know, this is going to work because I understand who Jason is and for as, as evil as he's going to get, it's, all, it's always going to be about that he's got a broken heart. And uh, so, yeah. I mean, we can go through it point by point nearly <laughs> every story I've ever come up with. It's like, nope, I knew it was going to end here. Yep, I was planning on there. You know, at each turn. It's just, it's just easier. Mm-hmm. It's just so much easier. So getting back to Hilo for a second. So in the sure. new book, just even just right up front, brief before I even get into the story, you have a, a very, and I think this is just because your artwork is so emotive that it feels so much sweeter and like a really nice moment is your dedication to the frontline workers because your art is just so so poignant and so beautiful that it really makes that dedication really work. Like you know what I mean? Like I think we're used to kind of seeing those dedications everywhere, and sometimes they feel like they mean more than others. But there's just something about your artwork that really sells that and makes you feel it, and actually made me feel emotional about that more than you know the saccharine ways they put in you know mainstream media. I felt yours felt different. Thank you, um, thank you, and I, I, I hope when the folks actually get a chance to look at it, they can see what we're talking about because mm-hmm. yeah, no, I I, I put. A, quite a bit of thought and a bit of work into the dedication. I actually, and for clarity, we're, I, I, I drew a picture of four medical frontline workers. Uh, that's who this this next book is dedicated to. Um, and uh, I made a point that they would actually look like <laughs> I didn't want them to look like stereotypical doctors with like stethoscopes and <laughs> you know and, nur- and nurses with you know with a stupid hat with a red cross on it. Um, <laughs> I I. Literally, like, no, this is actually what they look like, what they wear. I chose four, basically four people wearing different garb of different mm-hmm. kinds and knowing full well, you know, there's a nurse, there's a doctor, there's a technician, and, you know, and they're wearing masks and they're wearing equipment, and, you know, um, and I thought about what was going on in their heads and hearts. I really did. I thought about it a lot. Um, and, and thank you. I was, very, I was very pleased with that myself. I didn't expect anyone ever to comment on it. <laughs> Oh, there you go. So there. So thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And I, I, it's very understated, but I also like the idea that there is diversity there too, right? Like I, you don't pay. A, there's no button on it, but you just you very much notice that like that's just representative. You know, all these different people. It's different people. They look different, but they're all helping people, and they're all on the front lines like that. Oh, well, thank you. That was also again, it's a choice. Um, and uh, yeah, so so often, so often when we're representing. 
in storytelling, when we're making things up, the default position is always to show a bunch of white guys. Um, <laughs> and also, especially around medicine. I mean, there's that old riddle. Mm. Um, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? There's a, there's a, um, uh, a father and son are in oh, a car yes. wreck. Yeah, they're in a car, yeah, they're in a car wreck. Uh, they go to the hospital, um, and uh, the doctor comes to operate uh, on the boy, and the doctor says, I can't operate on this boy. This is my son. And the, the question is, how can this be? Yeah. So when, when I was a kid, this was actually a head-scratcher. <laughs> it's just like, wow, how can he was in an accident with his dad so how can his dad be the surgeon and you know the simple answer being like well the surgeon's his mother so I think t- today I would like to think today <laughs> it's a little it's a little more obvious but you know um, it, it, again in medicine I mean my own, my own wife has been a physician for uh, you know 25 years Um Still, now and again, people you know ask her if she's the if she's the nurse, mm. uh, you know, you know, in, with a particular context, um, you know, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. But anyway, anyway, I'm glad you appreciate the dedication. We can't thank our frontline workers enough. They're the ones who got us through this as best they could. Um, so they deserve every every accolade we can possibly give them. Absolutely. So speaking about Hilo, so we'll talk on a general and then we'll, near the end of the conversation, go a little bit more spoiler heavy so that people who haven't read it yet can kind of turn it off there and come back to it once they've read the uh, the new book. But just in, in, in broad strokes, I felt like this this chapter, Gina really came more into her own and almost like you, not that you didn't already know her voice, but it really felt like you knew exactly who she was. Not that you didn't in the last you know chapters, but it felt like this is where she really took over and you could really feel who she was. And so how did you really get to tap into who Gina was and how did that, how do you find her journey has really gone? Because again, I don't mean this to be rude at all, but it just feels like your mastery of her voice has only improved. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I feel like um, you know, I got, I got lucky with the fact that um, I, you know, had had the choice to move on from Hilo a little bit and make another one of the characters the focus. And the fact that it becomes Gina uh, was working for me because I was kind of chomping at the bit. Uh, I, I really, um, as 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 Hilo's story was progressing, and in the back of my head, I knew that we're going to have an opportunity to start focusing on Gina as the protagonist um, I had an opportunity to think about it a lot and uh, also an opportunity just to not tell her story um, you know that just drips and drabs um, in my opinion of you know here she is here's her family we're getting into who she is a bit bit, but it's still it's still mostly Hilo's story and mostly Hilo and DJ's story to be honest mm-hmm. um, you know I think we kind of got to know DJ a bit more uh, in the first bunch of volumes um so yeah it was a lot of it was a lot of fun and deeply interesting to finally have an opportunity to sort of you know right to take my time and 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 do a story about her um and it's cool what's fun is it just it's 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 fun to get a di- to, to be able to do an entirely different story while it's being the same story i mean i guess part of it is just it's it's just old school comics Mm-hmm. You know, you know, this is, this is, this is a team book, right? <laughs> yep. You know, it's, and, you know, instead of focusing on, uh, you know, Cyclops or Wolverine for another three or four issues, um, you know, I get to, you know, I get to write about Rogue or Storm, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that was, that was kind of fun. 
Um, so yeah, it was really just an opportunity to try to think about her because you know she's she's a totally different character and has a different perspective than Hilo and thinks about the world differently and has different things happening to her. So it's fun, um, and I, I appreciate you noting that because as as much as it is a story about you know this kid who can shoot lasers out of his hands or you know this suddenly this little girl who can you know produce magic and all that jazz um i do try to make it about the characters i do try to make it about you know you know stories that actual you know that people can actually relate to a little bit just a Mm -hmm. little bit i haven't had a chance to read it with my son yet just because like i was reading a pdf as opposed to the actual book which is that i think the the best way to experience it so when it comes out we'll be reading it together but one part i know that he will really enjoy and i'm just curious uh, how many uh, different renditions you can, you went through with it? Was there's a great scene where you have a lot of you know kind of cheesy dad jokes that Hilo's telling um, to mm-hmm. kind of distract these two people who are you know interrogating them. And so I thought it was just a, a hilarious scene, uh, really well done. But how many different dad jokes did you go through to kind of select the ones you used here? Oh, probably not many. I probably got a bunch in my back pocket that are are, are favorites. I mean, this is this is. Not, I mean, I honestly think the, the first time I did it, were we even calling it, were we calling them dad jokes in 2015? I kind of think we were. I don't even remember. <laughs> um, I think the first time, yeah, I was doing dad jokes in like the third book. Yeah. Um, he's read a joke book and now he starts doing them all the time. So Hilo and dad jokes have always been in the back pocket. So I think I either had a few in mind or I just look them up and I, I want to pick jokes that I actually think, even though they're dad jokes, they're still legitimately funny. They, they, they have to actually, you know, provide a bit, a bit, a bit of chuckle or are just, just so stupid that they're great. Um, I, I, it's, it's fun that you bring it up. I, I do put an absurd amount of time into it, thinking about it, that is. And I mean, once I'm committed, we're there. A part of what makes it work so well, again, is that you have, you know, one of the two characters who they're talking to is laughing and finds it absolutely hilarious and is like, why doesn't this other guy think it's funny? Like, it's just, that's what plays off the humor so much more. So he's telling these kind of, not necessarily just groaners, but like fun, you know, uh, standard type of jokes and the fact that he's just laughing his butt off and his other friend is just like not having any of it is just very funny <laughs> thank you I appreciate that I do I do I mean you know I, I part of the uh, I think what I strive to do also is like to, to do stuff that's good for the kiddos as well as the grown ups mm. and that has like an oddly all ages sort of feel that you know I mean, for, for, I don't want to give much away, but they're they're talking to a couple of like tough customers, and one of the tough customers just thinks this is the funniest damn thing he's ever heard. He's like, "I love telling these jokes and laughing his butt off," and it sort of juxtaposes the situation. So it's instantly not scary, but it's also instantly funny. I don't know. I think I think also it goes with it. We like we like to see people laugh. Yeah, <laughs> I think we do. I think we as, as human beings, when people are laughing, we kind of enjoy ourselves. You no. Know? No, this definitely felt like the the book where you really got to stretch your legs and do some you know crazy fantastical stuff because you know a lot of things have changed in the world and you really got to kind of lean into that. So, how much fun was that for you as a creator to kind of use a, a lot of weird, fun designs to make the world look very different than what we're used to? I'm trying to be vague so that I'm not giving too much away, but yeah, yeah, things have changed. You know, it's uh, it's we, we have we have lots of we have I think it's safe to say we have lots of monsters and magical creatures uh, in this story. And uh, that's always that's always a lot of fun and a little bit challenging. <laughs> it's uh, it's um, I always go back to 
Walt Simonson talking about when he designed. Uh, I'm going to unpack a lot real quick for the folks who don't know what remotely we're talking about. So uh, a bunch of so super uh, superhero comic book uh, artist and writer Walt Simonson, uh, phenomenally talented genius. Uh, he came up with a storyline where uh, Thor had his hammer uh, stolen from him by a character who was uh, called Beta Ray Bill, who became Beta Ray Thor. He stole the hammer and became a version of Thor. And Simonson talks about that he was just so happy with the costume he created for Beta Ray Thor that it was just, it was beautiful, it was well put together, and it was. It was just like an amazing thing to look at. And then he said by the second issue, he was ready to kill himself. That is, it, was just, it was so complicated. It was so – there was so much detail that I was like, oh, my God, what have, what have I done to myself? And he knows I've got a year of this. I've got 12 issues that i got to keep drawing this character and over and over again. Uh, so when I design a character, I always keep that in mind. Like, it's like you got to watch yourself, man. Like, you can, don't get – have a little fun. Get plenty creative, but watch yourself. Mm. Do not, do not get over. You know, you gotta, gotta, gotta mind your p's and q's. Um, but with that, it's a lot of fun to draw. You know, insane characters for 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 once. You know, um, you know, with the previous six books, the opportunity didn't present itself every single time to draw something bizarre and fun. But you know. Um, I, I, I think folks should know that you know when when fo- folks like myself who do this stuff, we like to pick things that we like to draw. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know you'll not. I, I joke about this often. You're not going to see a lot of cars and horses in my in my books because I don't <laughs> like drawing cars and horses. I will I will avoid them as much as I can. So, I have a question again. I'm trying to be vague, but you have sure. I'm going to call sure. it a fan favorite character returns with. Uh, a friend, a psychic of their own. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. Just in terms of naming conventions, uh, I, th- I think we can say the name of the character without giving away who and what it is. But so, Philip Ignatius Sebastian Coromaco, what what went into this process? Like that's such a fun name, but like again, naming is an important thing when you're developing a creative project. So, what went into naming the character this? His long name took no time at all. His his the name he goes by in the book is Pip. Mm-hmm. And that took a really long time. <laughs> I, I could not. I could not. I, I, I needed. It was one of those things where it's like, yeah, I want to give this character a name, and he's small, he's cute, but he's tough, and like, uh, and um, uh, thought 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 about it an awful lot because um, and 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 also getting kind of in the weeds on it. Uh, it's because some of his names. Uh, I, I felt like he had to have kind of a unique name, hmm. which like like DJ and Gina. Like I, I wanted, in some cases, you want to create names which um, have some resonance, but not too much. Hmm. You don't want it to be too out there because they, they need to be a little bit. You know, these are your human beings in the story. They need to be a little bit pedestrian in a way. Um, you know, whereas Hilo is something we had to come from the, from the ground up. So, so Pip literally coming up with the, the Pip part. Took forever, and um, you know, I I basically went back to Great Expectations, where I know that name from, um, and uh, it's like, like, does it work? Does it feel right? It's like, it does. And I kept asking my daughter, like, what do you think about calling a Pip? She's like, oh, I like that. That's cute. I said, it is cute, right? That's what I want. Um, so after that, like, what will Pip be short for? Oh, 
something incredibly long. So like a Philip, and you know, like I mean, <laughs> just like his, just, just like a member of his, of, of his family, he'll have a long, long, long actual name. Um, you know, which is sort of a family trait. Uh, but we will call him Pip. So <laughs> names are hard, gang. A lot of names are hard. You got because they, they they they're evocative immediately. Um. Like a, a good example is that a, a character in the first six books was Doctor Horizon, mm. and I had uh, basically come up with—I forget what the placeholder name was—that I'd left in an early draft, and it was actually uh, one of my closest friends and fellow storyteller Brad Meltzer who read like, "You're not going to leave that name in there, right?" It's like, well, it's like, no, guys, it doesn't mean anything. It's like a nothing name. It's good, like you know, he's he's an important character. At least something. I was like, no, no, you're right, you're right, you're right. I, I'd not put the time in, and like, yeah, he's actually a really important character. I just, I'd let it slip, and then <laughs> thought about it, and like, and then like, oh, how about, how about Doctor Horizon? Like, yeah, that's the stuff. Like, why Horizon? Like, I don't know. I mean, it kind of fits when I think about it. That works for me, but it's got gravitas, right? It's got weight. You know, it's got power. That's what you want. I would imagine that, like, yeah, the naming things seems so so simply at heart, right? Because I, it has to be it has the right cadence. It has to work, you know, properly. It has to somehow fit. It has to, you know, sometimes have certain you know, connotations that will, you know, bring people's memories, or sometimes that you can play on that what people might expect of that name. But yeah, it's so much more complicated. So I appreciate you going into, you know, something that's relatively seems simple but really has a lot more to it. Yeah, you know, again, you just, it's it is it's something you both want people to think about, but not think too much about. Mm. You don't want them to get hung up on it, and also you want them to be able to pronounce it. Um, you don't want to be tripped up every time the name comes up. Yeah, it's, it's these little things. They do. They matter. They matter. This book felt I, I, again very kind of classic old school adventure because something's wrong, you got to fix it, but it's a quest, and you have to go on the quest to be able to fix it. Uh, and again, that theme of fixing things is really strong for Gina as well in terms of how she kind of ended the last book and how she feels throughout this book that like, I made a mistake, something's wrong, I broke something, I have to fix it. And obviously, at the end, that kind of comes back in a big way. That idea of fixing things. So how important was that for you to kind of bring that out as as a character trait for her, that this this needing to fix things? Oh, that's, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you, I mean, I'm glad you picked up on it because that is, that's the main theme. Um, you know, there's, I mean, a lot of these are, a lot of these are hero tropes. You know, heroes sometimes feel undeserving of the responsibility or the power they've been given and they would rather, you know, just, you know, that that's, that's all power of the myth stuff. Um, but I, I kind of, you know, was also thinking purely about, um, you know, what, 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 what do good kids worry about, you know, and good kids don't like screwing up and it's, it's just about the worst thing that can happen to kids who just, just want to get it right. You know, who want to, you know, who are, who are very sort of, you know, I wouldn't even want to say hung up, but part of their focus is not doing things the wrong way. There's a right way of doing things. There's a wrong way of doing things. And, uh, someone getting hung up, like I screwed up and I got to make it right. Um, I think, I think everybody can pretty much understand that. Um, and I like that, I like that as a character trait of hers, that this isn't all about like, oh, it's wicked cool, I can do magic! You know, it's not. It's, it's more about like, yeah, I can do magic, and I did it for a while, and now I've really screwed up. Mm-hmm. I've really screwed up. Um, and uh, I think people can relate to that. For sure. 
Now, I, I do want to get a little bit more into spoiler territory. Is there anything... I, I, I'm sure there's lots of things we could talk about that's non-spoiler-ific, but is there anything particular that you would like to chat about before I move into spoiler territory for those who haven't read this book yet? Nah, I think I think we can... They've been duly warned, and they should come back in a couple of weeks. Okay. Uh, you know, when the time comes. When the time comes. Okay. So I guess my question is... So it's, this was interesting. So I felt... If I had just read book seven and then read, read book eight, um, not, I don't think you telegraph, but it's interesting that the minute at the end where we see that there's someone there, I'm like, well, it has to be the great-great-great-great-grandmother. But I had not in any way made that connection, obviously, until you see a silhouette. But it was interesting because I felt like if you just read book seven, maybe it would have been more in your mind that this could be something that you go with. But how early did you know it definitely has to be about family, it has to be about Gina meeting her, you know, her namesake, and that that's why you spent so much time in book seven really explaining, you know, who she was. Oh, yeah. This was this is one of the plans from the beginning. From the very, very beginning, I... I um, and... Uh, well, I'm, I'm assuming people listening now have read it. Yes. So when, uh, uh, yeah, when so when Gina uh, discovers and meets her great 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 grandmother, um, yes. and from here on in, I'm going to be saying great grandmother because I'm not going to say great five times. <laughs> um, you know, when she meets her, th- that was always part of the plan. I always, I, I always had this idea of um, that magic ran in her family. And that she bears a connection to someone who came long, long, long before. Um, which, again, which is why I took great pains in uh, in book seven, introducing her and talking about her a little bit, and you know, having her dad say, "Yeah, you, you know, you're basically, basically, kind of hanging a lantern on the idea that you know you're a lot like you know your great great grandmother," um, and. Uh, I like that, you know, and, and and it was it was also interesting to me, storytelling wise, um, because I hadn't done a lot of grown ups. Mm. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of grown ups in the book. Um, they usually are, are somewhat transient. They come and go, and I wanted uh, I wanted Gina. It felt like that Gina needed some guidance, and I didn't I didn't in this case I didn't want the guidance to come from her friends. Mm. Um, uh, and just it just felt like, emotionally speaking, um, it wasn't something that Hilo was going to like goose her along with, and I didn't want it to come from uh, from from DJ. It's just in, in that case, it just didn't quite feel right, you know. It, <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to say like it was going to feel like mansplaining. Mm. I didn't want the boys to tell Gina mm. what she was going to do, but it felt like, you know, like an elder. You know, a grown-up. Um, so that's where that came out of. You know, I, I wanted someone who'd, who'd been here before, who knows how to do this, to literally, here and there, help help guide her on her way. And also, she had some big questions that she needed answers to, mm-hmm. and some real guidance. And I just thought it was fun. I just thought it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's also the bottom line. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I love the idea of this reveal. Just just kind of dug it. It's interesting to read, um, if you look at the eight books in context of themselves, like, you tell a lot of different types of family stories. You have, this one is more of, you know, kind of the idea of reconnecting with long-lost family or, you know, your ancestors or, like, what that means. And you also had the first six books, as I said before, is kind of an adoption story of Hilo coming and becoming part of a new family and what it's like to kind of integrate into a new family 
from you know somewhere else that was very different and also dealing with oneself and how you fit in with your family so it's interesting how the different types of family experiences that you got that you are exploring throughout you know eight books so far uh they've been very different from each other but they'll work really well in tandem and again because of the way you've explored hilo and his relationship to dj and even dj and his sister i haven't even mentioned dj's sister really steals the show sometimes in this issue um you know like which i would not have initially expected but again like you said sometimes you get to put the focus on other characters and suddenly characters who were just kind of in the background before really start to have real personality yeah lisa dj's little sister is is a favorite of a lot of people um, and I didn't, I didn't think, I didn't think she would catch as hard as she did because I, you know, when I introduced her initially, it's like, yeah, there's something cool about her. And right from the jump, my editor gravitated towards her too. <laughs> and really? just, yeah. And I said like, we should do a whole series on her. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, really? It's like, it's like yeah, it's just something about her. I go, yeah, there is something about her. And I always made a point of like, in my mind, she's very, very, very well defined. So I know who DJ's little sister is. So when there's an opportunity for her to, you know, really, you know, put on a show, really act, to really to be a part of this, um, I know where we're going and I know how we're going. And I, and I always take that. So I'm glad you noticed that, too. That is absolutely by design. Yeah. Little sister, Lisa. And we'll be seeing more and more of her. I don't know exactly, you know, how or what. But, you know, um, she'll, she'll continue to be a big part of the story. Mm. Now, this is kind of a weird tangent question, but I'm, I'm always curious about the little things that make up the, the you know, the, the stories, etc. What is it about mangoes as a fruit that you thought really worked as something that Hyla would love and also that one of the monsters obviously would have a very adverse reaction to? Uh, but what was it about mangoes? Let's see, where to begin? For one, I think mangoes are just in general, they seem to be funny. I don't know why. Mangoes are kind of funny. There's, 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 there's something about them. Uh, you know, certain food is funny. Avocados are also funny. I don't know why. They just are. Um, but I think at the, the, maybe the most important part, Hyla loves mangoes because I am allergic to them. I break, I break out into a terrible rash. And um, I'm from the East Coast of the United States, uh, and I never had a mango until I moved to California. We just didn't grow them out there, and it was long before they were they were strip mining fruit as much as we do now. So mm. I never had one, so I came out here and I ate them for a couple of years and loved them. They were amazing. Mangoes are amazing. And then after about a year or two, I started breaking out in a terrible rash every time I ate them. Oh, um, so when I was giving Hilo his favorite food, I thought one, I think mangoes are funny, and two, like yeah, I can't have mangoes, so he will. So um, that's why mangoes come up, and it's just it, it's. I don't know. It's it's funny that I I don't know. I find it funny, and what's also interesting is that um, I'm right. Kids find it hysterical. Kids love talking about the fact that Hilo likes mangoes. I think they like the randomness or the mundaneness as well. Because um, I don't know. Maybe because you know everybody likes ice cream. Everyone likes cookies. Everyone mm-hmm. likes these. You know the the normal things. Everyone likes pizza. But you know mangoes like that's his favorite thing. Like yeah yeah. You know. Now, question. In, you know, so you have a great sequence here where, again, you have one of the monsters in just one, and then he slowly kind of blows up. Um, now, from an artist's perspective, so you have obviously the character model for what this character looks like normally. So how, did, how much did you have to play with you know, what the exaggerated look would be as this monster started to kind of swell up and then eventually explodes off screen? But, you know, like what, what was that process like? Yeah, that was, that was a, 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 
I would say a little bit of difficulty because I think I designed the character first and then thought of the joke after mm. and then decided like, yeah, I'm going to stick with this even this isn't quite, you know, won't be quite that easy to draw. Uh, but at the same time, um, you get to do a lot of cheats when you draw really, really cartoony. Mm. You know, you just get to go full Looney Tunes on stuff. I mean, that's when in doubt if I'm going to go with a joke if, if the joke isn't quite working as well as I'd like it to, it's like, yeah, we're just going to plus up the drawing and get really goofy. Then we'll be fine. You know, I mean, that's, that's again, that, that is the luxury of, uh, of drawing silly cartoons. Mm-hmm. So it just took a couple, couple tries through here. Like, how am I going, you know, how am I going to, uh, expand this, uh, monster who was a, um, a kind of a raccoon squid dog-like character <laughs> who could talk and was anthropomorphic as one does um, and uh, and again it's a lot of fun like I love that sequence it was one of my favorite it was one of my favorite sequences to draw well just even just seeing like the, the splort sound effect and like all the I guess what the goo exploding out of this building again very funny thank you Thank you. Very Looney Tunes. I'm completely aping and, and paying homage to, like, you know, an over-exaggerated Looney Tunes moment. So, now, two, two other quick comments on the book. So, one, I couldn't help, and I, I'm sure this wasn't maybe in your mind when you were doing it, but I couldn't help but think of it, is that when you have the team at the end kind of finding the arc and they open it up and they look down, I couldn't help but get Lost vibes. Um, I don't know if that was intentional or not. Lost me the TV show Lost. Yeah, because they had they had uh, what's it called? Not the bunker, but they had the the thing that they they blew the hatch. Yeah, the hatch. Yes, the hatch. And they looked down, and so you have the shot of you know looking up from the bottom uh, up at uh, our, you know our, our protagonist, and they're looking down at this something that's much bigger on the inside, and it's the only thing I could think of. You know what? I was probably thinking about that too. Now that you say it, I'm thinking like. What was going on in my head when I came up? Like, like, yeah, no, I was thinking about that more so than, you know, I mean, in my mind, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, it's a little bit Doctor Who mm. that this, this this wasn't a hatch. This is actually, this is literally all inside that this this concrete this concrete this stone arc. Oh, yeah. Like, if you were if you were to take the arc and move it half a mile away, you can still get get where you're going. It's all inside there. <laughs> um, so. There was part of that, but I, I knew as I was drawing it, like, no, this just feels like an entrance. It doesn't really feel like what I'm getting at, that it's more like the TARDIS. But we're fine. We're fine. <laughs> um, it honestly is it's, it's actually one of, my, one of my favorite drawings in the book. I don't know what it is, the quality of it, but when Gina's ivy is pulling open the top of the of the arc, oh, yeah. I, just, I just love it. I don't know why. I, it, it just came out in a way that I just enjoy so much. <laughs> it's, it's, I, 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 it's, it's a very, very specific thing. The way the ivy, like, as you sort of, like, get the feeling of it. I don't know. It just, it just came out so well. I was very happy with it. It's a minor. Here, I can even look it up. Where is it? Yeah, yeah, here we are. Yeah, just uh, page 197, gang. I really liked how that, that scene came out. I think the, the, your coloring on the ivy looks really nice, too, right? Because it kind of... Because you have a very kind of, uh, you know, it's just dirt ground and you have the sky, but there's just something about the greens that you use. No, I'm colorblind, so maybe I'm not seeing it the same way. But well, from no, what I can see, it's very, like, you know, very evocative. It is. Uh, I, I want to take credit for that, but I can't. That is all Marta Leho, who's my colorist. Okay. Uh, she, and she's great. Uh, I mean, she's really, really good. Uh, Hilo is not the only series that she does. Um and um, I mean, I, I do I do everything but that. Um, but happily, I get to hand it over to Marta because uh, she makes 
you I mean we talk about it, you know, to the nth degree, but she makes excellent choices and is such a gifted gifted artist as well as a, a cartoonist herself. So she really, really gets it. Um, and uh, makes everything look like like ten times more beautiful. Um, but yeah, I was very, very happy, like, you know, because uh, Ivy is important because it's like it's part of Gina's magic, mm-hmm. and it's gotta it's gotta look just so. <laughs> if it if it doesn't look if it looks a little bit off, then then it, it takes you out of it. You can't really think about it. Uh, so I thank Marta for that a lot. Now the next book obviously is coming out next next spring. Now um, are you hip deep in it already? Is it almost done? Like where are you in the creative process? Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm up to my neck. Uh, I'm uh, I'm inking the book right now, so it is written, it is drawn, and uh, and uh, Marta we just spoke about. She's coloring the first sixty pages, so we are we are chugging mightily along. So all is going well. Yeah, so that's um, which usually, unfortunately for me, um, is usually how this works. That I am I am scrambling to try to stay on some semblance of schedule and hopefully get the book done before my book tour. Hmm. And I usually fail. Um, <laughs> I usually don't quite get there, and I've got like you know like forty pages to go or something. And instead of having you know like an eight-hour day that I can work on it, it suddenly becomes a if I'm lucky, a two-hour day where I can work on it. But everybody should have my problems. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so this 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 one is is done, and I've 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 emotionally kind of set sail uh, from this story arc, and have begun thinking about the next one. Very nice. Now you speak. I, I have two questions, so I'll, this is a quick one. But just in general uh, terms, when this book comes out, what is your book tour process like? I know last year we talked; everything was kind of virtual. Uh, you know, you weren't really able to do everything in person because of where we were. How are things looking now? Uh, not, not, not so great. More the same. It was up until um, a month and change ago. Uh, well, basically before Omicron. Before, before Omicron, we were planning on uh, doing a uh, full in-person book tour like I had many, many times before, um, and uh, with maybe some virtual stuff here and there, you know, cities and, and, and states I couldn't get to so quickly who didn't mind doing a virtual one. Um, then Omicron hit, and uh, we really had to reevaluate. So um, even locally, the plan was I was going to do a bunch of stuff just here in the Bay Area where I live. Um in person and do a lot of remote stuff around the country, but even even locally, um, a lot of it's virtual again. It was just you know it's just bad timing. It's just bad timing. I it it and it has less to do with we'll call it my own safety and more to do with the fact that um, when I talk to kids, I'm talking to them in their auditoriums and their cafeterias, um, and most of the schools at the moment don't feel comfortable about putting 200 to 300 kids in a room mm-hmm. together at one time. Um, so, so again, we're going to do it virtual. Mostly I've got a couple, I've got a couple of places, which, which, uh, because it's just their basic layout of their school, uh, we're going to be able to do it. But yeah, unfortunately we're, well, fortunately, unfortunately, uh, fortunately we're able to do it. There's a lot of schools and cities that I would not have gotten to. If we were not so good at doing things virtually, which mm-hmm. we are now, um, but at the same time, it would have been it would have been nice seeing the kiddos again. I was I was looking forward to that. Sure. So maybe next year. 
Maybe. All right, my last question, because I know you have to go in about three minutes, and so this okay. is perhaps not even fair to make this a three-minute question, so maybe I have to have you come back sometime. But, um, Fire I, I could So last month we found the comics community was kind of rocked with bad news that George Perez is obviously in ailing health. So my question yeah. to you is that do you have a favorite either George Perez story about him, the man, or uh, a piece of work that he's done in terms of your, your favorite <laughs> being? Oh, okay. So here, this, this all right. Um... One of my longest friendships uh, that is uh, in my life is due in no small part to George Perez. <laughs> and I'll tell it like this. Um, and this is without ever knowing him yet. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, and I read Rob Brad once, so we must bring him up again. Uh, in um, my freshman year of college, I was going to the University of Michigan. Um, uh, I, and me, I was, I had made a buddy of a guy who lived in my dorm and, uh, you know, the first couple of weeks and, uh, me and a bunch of his other, uh, our other friends, uh, were back in his dorm room and I met his roommate and actually hadn't been in his dorm room yet. So this is like the first week of school. Oh, wow. Um, and then I'm there in his dorm and, uh, I'm looking around and there's, there's comic book posters on the wall. Uh, there's a She-Hulk poster, um, there's a Batman poster, and there is a Teen Titans poster, and uh, I I happened to real I asked my buddy Doug, "Is it these your posters?" Because another Brad's, and I'm talking about Brad Meltzer. Um, <laughs> so I, I say, "You read comics?" And he goes, "Yeah." I said, "I said that is a very cool." Uh, Titans poster, and he goes, "Because oh, you read comics?" I said, "Yeah, I do." I said, "George Perez, right?" He goes, "Yeah." <laughs> and that was like the secret handshake of, oh no, you don't just read comics, you read comics. You know, it isn't just like, oh no, I, I you know I know who Batman is. Like, no, no, no. That was the nerd secret handshake of you're on the inside. You actually like know who the artists are in particular. So Brad's favorite book forever and ever was you know uh, Teen Titans, uh, and you know, and it was the Wolfman Perez run that, that did it for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I owe one of the longest friendships I've had in my life uh, to George Perez because <laughs> I don't think if I, if I hadn't said like George Perez sentence, uh, I don't think Brad would have like we would have not have known the secret handshake. Um, so, and with that, uh, I will say that um, I've gotten an opportunity to meet Perez uh, more than a couple of times, and. For all of you who might have heard random things here and there about what a colossally sweet and kind man he is, you should know that that is ridiculously true. Um, I, I have yet to hear like a shitty story about George Perez. Like not even nearly that. It's the opposite. Just what a, what a kind and generous person he always is to his fans, to other creators. Um, just a really, really wonderful man. And it's just it's. It is heartbreaking that that we're going to lose him. Um, I take small solace in that uh, he's he's getting to go out on his own terms and gets to say goodbye to uh, his family as well as uh, those of us who love his work and have been inspired by him. Mm-hmm. So that'll be you know it's it is a heartbreaker, but again, I'm I'm, I'm glad he gets to say goodbye. I do. It was an enormous outpouring, obviously, of support, and it was it was amazing just hearing and reading all the pieces about it, and just people, you know, with sharing all their personal remembrances of him and things that they've done for him, and all, yeah, as you said, I don't think I've ever heard anything negative about the man. No, 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 and and when do you hear that? 
mean, when, when does that ever happen? Especially in this day and age. Somebody's always got something shitty to say about somebody. But quite the opposite. Just nothing but love. And that's great. It's great. We should all be so lucky. Absolutely. Well, that's a good place to, to, to end it. So thank you so much for taking the time again to uh, chat with us about Hilo. And again, the new book is, uh, what's the proper name for it again? It's This one is uh, the Hilo, Gina, and the Big Secret. Yeah, well, it's it's a tremendous uh, new installment, and I'm excited for the next chapter because this one leaves you in quite the cliffhanger. So, uh, if you haven't, already, I mean, probably people have already read it. Hopefully, by this point, because we went into spoilers. But in case yeah. you still haven't, make sure you go out and buy this on February fifteenth. Oh, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.